Thanks for downloading Table Talk Radio, where we play all the whole thing. We play uh, Name That Buzzword and have a long discussion about the vocation of family and friends and how that how that defines the distinction between Lutherans and Evangelicals. So thanks for downloading the show. Thanks for being part of the fun. Here we go. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. So, uh, if you guys would put mega the mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. The podcast that helps you look forward to the parousia. This is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Everyone's praying, come Lord Jesus, when they hear that. Theme. That's right. <laughs> It's not the angel's trumpet. It's just the intro music. <laughs> a, common, a common misconception. Is that is that what I think it is? Oh, no. It's just table talk. No. Alas, <laughs> the disappointment. So what's going on over there, Pastor Wolfmiller? Well, you know, I just invented something new. I shouldn't. I don't know if I should admit this to you. You're going to think I'm, you know, I got a side gig going on because I invented the worldwide theological game called the most certain hashtag the mo that's my buzzword by the way the most certain this is a lot of things going into this but one of them is going to be doing less prep work for the other show called cross defense but anyway each week I'm going to send out a theological contest and people can put it on the socials you know with the hashtag the most certain Carrie thought of that hashtag so you have to like it I love it and, actually uh, I don't like it. I love it. Oh yeah, the most certain. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was. I thought it should be most certainly. And she's and Carrie said no because it's not about the thing that you are. It's not about the. It's not about what you are. It's about who you are. We are the most certain because we have these truths. So mm. I thought that was kind of nice. Was, uh, anyway, first contest is uh, what's your favorite Easter hymn? So I'll talk about that in the opening segment. How about that? I'll talk about that opening segment at of cross defense and then put a new contest. And so every week. People can do the stuff, you know. Everyone can do their own theological work, which is what we should all be doing, reading and thinking theologically. So there you go. I'm just, I'm still trying to recover from the fact that you're moonlighting, doing something other than table talk radio. Yeah, sorry to... Sorry. But, you know, normally I keep the games... Well, I don't know if that's even true, but to sort of keep the games corralled into the table talk radio universe. Right. No, I mean, that, that corral is like a two-way corral. I mean, so it's like the sheep pen. It both keeps the sheep in, but it keeps the wolves out. That corral keeps the the meteorocity in, but the good content out. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's right. So everyone, the, the people at Cro the producers over at Cross Defense are going to be like, wait, 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 you're playing games over here? Whoa, buddy. <laughs> we, we, it's like a... Yeah, I'm like, whoa, you have good content somewhere? It's... <laughs> It's 
Whoa, it's, buddy. It's like the man cave, you know? It's like or a, it's like the junk drawer. That's what it's like. It's like the one drawer that you don't have to care about so that you do care about all the rest. So Table Talk Radio is like the theological junk drawer, but if that starts to expand, pretty soon the whole house is the junk house. That's true. That's true. Dangerous. Well, my... You know what's winning, by the way? The, the hymn that's winning is Luther hymn. Oh, nice. Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands. Everyone likes that because that's what the cool kids like. Hmm. Nice. Well, my buzzword for you is actually by way of a game we're going to play because Ooh. last week I Googled the phrase Lutheran buzzwords. and uh, Oh, today for... is May the 4th. No wonder. May the 4th be with you. That's what that's trending now. Oh, great. Baby Yoda memes all day. Oh, <sighs> okay. I... Sorry, I looked on that. Twitter. I'm checking out my responses to hashtag the most certain. Sorry, I interrupted you. What okay. were you saying? So we were gonna Did, a, oh, you were saying you don't have a buzzword. That's, that's right. what because I Because we, we're looking at the uh, list of buzzwords from Matt Richards' website. And so I'm just going to maybe spend the rest of this segment just pulling words off of this. And you're gonna oh. have, I'm going to read the definition. And you're going to have to guess what the buzzword is. Yeah, because didn't we do this thing where the definitions and the buzzwords don't match on his page? Uh, Have well, we told them about that yet? Or are we going to no. take advantage of it for a few more I, weeks? And I only though? noticed that on one of them. I don't even know. This this will be kind of a this will be kind of a stress test for his <laughs> for his page. Yeah, you're welcome, Matt. Yeah, we're here. For, we're here for you. <laughs> and to make it even more exciting, I am uh, using a random number generator to pick. Uh, oh wow! So I mean, this is just wow. listen. Talk, this is totally gamified. Games. The yeah. whole thing. All right, here's the definition of the buzzword you have to identify. All right. An offering that turns away or satisfies the wrath of God directed against sin. According oh, wow. to the New Testament, God has provided the offering that removes the divine wrath, for in love the Father sent the Son to be the, this word, un the or atoning sacrifice for human sin. This also takes its imagery from Leviticus 16, the blank, was the goat that was sacrificed on the altar to satisfy God's wrath. Wow. Huh. The blank. Sacrifice. So, all right. Well, I think I... So, what is, I have to guess what the word is? Uh, yeah, that's how it works. Okay. My guess is, what is propitiation? That is correct. All right. Nice. So, so Le Leviticus 16, there were two goats, wasn't there? One, one goat was the scapegoat where the sins were laid upon this goat, and it was released out and uh, into the wild, I suppose. And the other one was, was sacrifice. And the, the, the one that was sacrificed is this idea of propitiation. That, so it's it's an um, appeasing of the, of the wrath of God for sin. That's right. The, uh, the name for it in the propitiation for hilasterion is the Greek. The, what is the? Do you remember the the old Hebrew, the ancient name for it? But it it's what we call the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because it, it you, before it was an abstraction. It was a it was a place. It's like a location. It was a, it was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant where mm -hmm. God would sit, but mostly where Moses would put the blood, and so. What's the? It's a beautiful picture. It's like, it's it's like if you can imagine like you you get in trouble and your dad has a list of all the things you did wrong, and as he holds it up, he takes his other hand and pours blood over it. <laughs> wow, his own blood. Can you? Imagine? And it's now he can't see the list anymore. That's the. 
Wowzers. That's the preaching of the of the Hilasterion, of the of the Ark of the Covenant. So here's the Ten Commandments covered by the blood. So do I get points for that? I should get points, not only because I guessed I, I actually guessed your buzzword before you even gave it. I don't know. I should it's like I should get like five hundred uh, how about I give you 200 points for each one you get right? I think we lost Pastor Wolf. He, his internet went out earlier today, so I told him that he needs to get the uh, the steer cranking the shaft of the generator again. I'm not sure. Apparently, that steer decided to stop and take a rest, and so we lost him. Let's see if we can get him back, though. That's all right. So I was just uh, explaining how you get... I was... <laughs> Mansplaining. I was explaining how you get 200 points for guessing the word because you have more opportunities, see. So well, you, you can't muzzle the ox while he's cranking the shaft. I think that's what, what the Bible says. I'm trying not to. Trying not to. Try to put the oats in front of him. Keep him going here. So. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm going to give you 200 points and then give you another buzzword. And this time I'm going to give you this. God's act of declaring sinners righteous for Christ's sake. Wow. I'm going to guess, what is the theological buzzword justification? You got it. Man. You got it. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about justification? It's a nice one. I like the choices that um, uh, that uh, our friend Pastor Richards is making. He's got some nice words on there, propitiation and uh, justification. This is important that... By the way, we want to make a distinction, not a separation, but a distinction between, say, the act of atonement, the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross, that propitiation, and the act of justification, which is the Lord delivering that forgiveness to us and applying it to us. Different, so so th there's a distinction there, which is really quite wonderful. It's the gospel getting to us that is, um, that is uh, uh, justification. Yeah, the Holy Spirit bringing the promise. Good distinction. All right, give you 200 more points. All right, got another one for you Let's here. Let's keep going, man. I love this game. All right. It's my new favorite. A strict adherence to specific theological doctrines, typically in reaction against the theology and movement of modernism. The origin oh. of this dates back to the 1920s. In the 20s, there was a conflict over the issue of theology and the role of the church in light of pressure from modernism. Today, this is commonly used as a pejorative term. It is commonly, uh, it commonly is a term that is used to belittle church bodies and organizations that have legalistic tendencies. I wear this word as a badge. What is the <laughs> theological buzzword called fundamentalism? <laughs> you got it. I love it. I mean, Flammy and I were figuring this out because everyone talks about how, oh, you're fundamentalist, you know, as an insult. And we're like, well, yeah, of course we are. That's what we, that's, we're fundamentalists. Oh. Well, we're coming up on a break here, so we need to take a quick break. But I, I'm interested in this conversation because when we get back from this break, I want to ask you, is there any distinction at all to be made between a fundamentalist and how Lutherans view the scripture? Or should Lutherans just be kind of lumped in with the, with the label fundamentalism? So uh, that question to you after this, Pastor Wolfmuller, you're listening to Table Talk Radio. And when we get back from this break, we'll be hearing from Pastor Wolfmuller and then continue playing Ten Commandments in the News with everything going on in the world. You're listening to Table Talk Radio.
two theologians for the price of none. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Hello, I'm Hans Feeney, creator of Lutheran Satire. I'm encouraging you to listen to Cross-Eyed Christian, this theologically deep but tonally light-hearted podcast hosted by Pastor Gavin Mize. You should listen because Gavin is funny, a sharp thinker, and a faithful theologian, despite sounding like Joe Dirt with a mouthful of Novocaine. Enjoy the show, folks. All right, we're back. Now, Pastor Wolfmiller, right before the break, uh, you had guessed the buzzword fundamentalism, and I asked you what, if any, would there be a, dis- if a distinction between a fundamentalist and how we would ascribe to the Bible? Well, so did I tell you? So you didn't hear any of my whole long <laughs> diatribe because of the uh, Internet? Yeah, your thing, your thing gave out. Uh, so I'm reading this great book, which I love, which we talked about last week, uh, Christianity versus Liberalism by the J. Gresham Machen. Machen. He's making me think a lot about the Ha, see what I did there? About this stuff, because he was he was part of this whole fundamentalist modernist controversy, which was a, business, was a question about what do we make of the Bible? Is it inspired and so forth or not? Is it inerrant? Is it, in, is it uh, infallible? Or does it contain errors? Does our reason go above uh, or below or around the scriptures or what and so we the christian posture is that the bible's true in fact we say we confessional conservative lutherans probably say more about the bible we're more fundamentalist than the fundamentalists were are even the part part of the problem is the fundamentalists messed up some doctrines like they mostly were evangelicals or i mean in fact in fact let's say this the evangelicals are the second or third generation fundamentalists, uh, maybe now fourth generation. Evangelicals now are kind of fourth generation. So uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's moving away from, from the fundamentalist roots. But we, you know, we, we look at this and we say, yeah, the Bible is infallible and inerrant. And we say more. It's also sufficient and clear and efficacious and awesome. So we say even more about the Bible than the fundamentalists do. So, But, I mean, there, there's – so the fundamentalists, uh, as a pejorative, is used in a variety of different ways. On the one hand, it would be like, oh, you believe that the Genesis record is true, that God created everything in six days? You're a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, there's right. that, uh, right. which, of course, we would say, well, yeah, that's what it says. Um, it's also, though, used, um, it, as I think I think as it was in the uh, Matt Richard definition there, is, is a way to describe sort of legalism. Um, yeah. Is that true? Is that I suppose a, it did, could be. Did I read that? I can't remember the definition. Mental. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Commonly uses a pejorative term, uh, commonly a term to belittle church bodies and organizations that have legalistic tendencies. And I, I yeah. think that that's true as far as it's used as a pejorative. Yeah, it could be. Like, oh, you're a fundamentalist. You're against smoking and drinking and dancing and life insurance and King James <laughs> only. Those right, are all, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a whole crap. I mean, just because someone is a, is a fundamentalist doesn't mean they're right about everything. But it's your, it's kind of your approach to things. It's, it is, it does sort of mark a serious approach. But we, so we have a serious approach to the scriptures. And, and look, if the Bible did forbid smoking, then we would be legalists about it, just like yeah. we're legalists about murder. 
Right. right. <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, you shall not murder. What? What a bunch of legalists. You know where? So <laughs> it's what's funny is, I mean, so on the one hand, we certainly don't need to make up more rules than the, than God gave us. Right. That's. I mean, so that's one of the marks of the of the kind of Pharisee mind, is you start inventing new laws. So that's maybe one of the marks of, of fundamentalism. But nor do we want to have less rules than God, than God gave us. And and do, have you noticed that this claim? I, I've been trying to figure this out. Maybe we talked about it here. You have, might have insight into it. That the, that when this uh, this whole idea of who are you to judge? You know, let, mm-hmm. let live and let live. We shouldn't be legalists. It almost always has to do with sex and doctrine. Hmm. It's Sixth Commandment and Second Commandment. Like Nobody ever says that about theft. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, was, hey, that guy stole my car. I'll live and let live, you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone does their own thing. He's a car thief. Well, you know, I, no. you know there, there's, I don't know if this is the same thing of what you're saying, but you hear this kind of um, uh, defined morality to be anything that hurts others. So if if I can do something in my to myself, then I sh- that should be free game. Um, but but it doesn't actually look at the impact that my actions have on other people. So you mentioned the sixth commandment, and how violations of the sixth commandment uh, affect our children or our families or the society at large. And so it's a very it's a very short sighted uh, offense against others. It doesn't look actually the whole picture, but there's this. I've been and I've been thinking about this in a different context, but to bring it over into this conversation is nice because I've been thinking about the difference between, like, what what is your major? So in a church, what do you expect to be the major vocation of the people? Have we talked about this? Mm-hmm. Like, so like one of the differences between the Lutheran Church, say, and the and for example, the Evangelical Church. Is that the Lutheran Church expects people's chief vocation to be in the family, mm-hmm. whereas the Evangelicals expect people's chief vocation to be in their friendships, so that mm. so that so that the Lutherans just act towards people as as parents or as children or whatever, but the Evangelicals act towards people as friends. It's it's it's, it's really interesting, and and it's one of the reasons why you know when you say look at all the young people. Well, there's a time in your life where your chief vocation probably is friendship. When you're off at college, when you're a young single, and so forth, and and you've moved out of the home, uh, you you're not married yet, you're single, etc. And so Going to there's club a way or that those things. yeah, club <laughs> every night clubbing it up, and so there's a way that as as churches sort of shape their the imagination of the person that they're they're dealing with as they shape that around the idea of friendship and that's why evangelism is so important and i noticed this in the criticism that that the lutheran church will sometimes get i think that that you know people come to hope or people now come to saint paul or jesus death and and they'll the response will be one of two things one will be like boy ever this church is kind of cold and unwelcoming and no one said hi to us or this is the most gracious, open, welcoming church I've ever been to. Mm. Like, how could it be that you have such totally different responses to that? Could it just, is it possibly where they sat? Like, you know, if you sit by one person, you're <laughs> yeah. going to be like, whoa, coming on pretty hard. Well, you and must then have if sat you sit next to Wilma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's not the most welcoming church. It's just the most welcoming individual, you know, that's kind of... But it could I, that happened enough that it, I don't think it's just that accident. I think it's 
and this is start to notice is when people come and they're single, they're going to school, they're going to college or something, they're by themselves. They say, boy, it seems kind of cold. Whereas if they come in their families, they've got kids and things like this, it's it's welcoming. There's a kind of a comfort, there's a just sort of a way that you're used to dealing with people. It's very interesting. Hmm. But now to take that, this whole question of like, what is the, what is the chief vocation that I understand people to be living in when I'm dealing with them? That I think, anyway, I'm just, I'm reflecting on that a bit. Yeah, I I think, I think that's, um, I mean, so I remember when I was in college going to Christian school, um, they were always kind of harping on the students that like, what is your ministry? And so, um, you know, whatever you're doing, you ought to be doing something where you're trying to reach out to people, you know, doing the mission kind of a thing. And, um, you know, never mind the, the, the person who's there to learn, <laughs> to be a good student and to uh, get good grades, to be able to serve their neighbor well. Um, it, was, it, was this, it was this kind of constant criticism. How, how dare you, especially, especially if you questioned any teaching, it was, well, you're not even doing a ministry, so how dare you question what we're working on or trying to do? <laughs> right. That was just. But yeah, I, I think that chief vocation question is a good one. Uh, I think that would be explored. And then there's a thing, too. So if I'm single, I, you, so let's say you have, you have a certain currency. Like everybody has a certain amount of time and energy and interest and things that they're going to pour into life. And if you're not doing anything, like if you're just hanging around, so you're say you're single and and you're not working and you're not going to school and let's say you're independently wealthy because you wrote like a one hit wonder or something like this. You have a certain you save a certain amount of energy just to keep yourself going, you know. But then you every time you add a new vocation, there's some energy or time or whatever spent on that. But when you're single, you've got a lot more to probably spend on yourself and then your friends, that's who you're investing in. Then when you get married, now you're pouring that into your into your spouse. And then when you get have children, you're pouring that into your home and into your work and especially into your family. And so what happens is the single person, the single person looks at the married person and sees them as maybe not as selfish, but as as kind of blocked off because because so much of their time and energy is and, and so much of their good works is poured into the, the the most intimate of neighbors, the family, that it seems like they're, they're not doing as much good works as the single people are doing and so forth. And they wonder, well, why aren't you coming out late? Why aren't you immediately responsive to my problems? Why aren't you, do you see what I mean? So there's a there's a wall that grows up and this this just happens with friends. So, you know, it's all the, the first person to get married, you got a group of friends and then the first guy to go off and get married and now he's like, well, what? You don't care about us anymore? You just you never you never come out and hang out with us anymore? And he's like, right, I'm married, and you got, <laughs> and you just have to wait for them to get married to catch up to the program. You know, this is. But back to your. And they, oh, go ahead. And it, and it goes the other way around, right? So the and the single people are looking at the kids of the these the first friends to have kids. You're like, my kids are never going to be like this. So you have the. You have the NCS, the no child syndrome, where you're always talking about how, thinking of how great your kids are going to be before anyone else. <laughs> so there, but there's this, there's all this, it's, it's not an animosity, but it's something like an animosity between those whose chief vocation is friendship and those whose chief vocation is family. And, and as a church, we are, we ought to be caring for everyone in all those different situations. But probably we, some churches are, 
doing one better than the other. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, so when when churches will encourage to want people to put one vocation over another, it can sometimes be at the sacrifice of the other. I, I want to yeah. explore this just a little bit more after the break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Busting the myth that practice makes perfect. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. All right, you're back. Table Talk Radio. Pastor Ruffin made this great observation in wow. the uh, chief vocation that is encouraged in churches, sometimes being either the family or or the friends. And um, I guess one question I have for you, then, Pastor Ruffin, there is uh, to what end uh, is that encouraged? Well, because how- I mean, to 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 place the chief vocation amongst of the members of the of a particular church uh, in the friends is that for the purpose of uh, outreach, um, and then how, how would that translate to the church that places the family as the primary vocation? Well, think about it. So the family comes with its own crowd, right? Whereas if you're a single, you're always looking for crowds, both to find them and to create them and gather them up. And so it's in, in a lot of ways, the evangelism happens naturally via friendship. Now, evangelism also happens via family, but it looks a lot more like catechesis, you know, rather than than friends who are coming from very different backgrounds but right. having these important conversations and now you know you're you're having these crises and of 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 faith and life and there's friends who are there to to help you with it and so the idea of invite your friends you know a lot of times when you get married just i mean just to think about this Evan for for you probably before you got married i bet you had like three friends or four and now i bet you don't have any am i right on the numbers like spot on uh, i think i mean for me this is a, i mean just i rounding you know, I down just, remember remember these things i mean you before you're married you, you because because the burden of kind of this these the the sort of emotional connection the intensity required to just sort of keep us afloat as social animals i'm talking pe- very with pagan language here but the, it's you know it's a burden to keep everybody going so you got to spread it out amongst a group of friends to you know ju- not just one person can take care of someone else so you have your best friend and you have your close friends and then you have all your companions so that the burden of kind of 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 neighboring somebody is spread out a little bit but when you get married you're saying okay we're going to take care of each other we're going to we're going to invest in each other i'm going to i'm going to pour my emotional energy into this person and keep them floating and so so you, you it's just a huge shift it's a huge shift from going from your chief vocation to being friends to chief vocation being family and we move sort of through it you know i mean when you're a kid you're surrounded by your parents and and your and your and your siblings hopefully and then and then as you go to high school, now your your um, your peers are a mix of family and friends. Then if you go off to college, now your peers are really friendship until one of those friends emerges as the one who's going to be your spouse. And then 
and then whoosh, you're flung back into the family. Now that time away from that time away from the family is a dangerous time for the conscience because the family is one of the chief walls that protects the conscience. So, but the, so so friends have to step in and do that duty. And there is a good and godly vocation for friendship. I mean, Aristotle. Remember the Aristotle, who oh. probably knew more about like how to live than anybody who wasn't a Christian had as the chief end of man was friendship. Like the highest relationship for him was friendship. But we often, we just don't don't think about it. We should because it's a biblical category. It's a biblical vocation, friendship. And so we we ought to be able to talk to people about being friends. We ought to be able to tell the adolescents, look, this is what it means to be a friend. This is why God has given you friends and made you a friend. This is what it means to be a good friend and so forth. And and even though we are husbands and wives and 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 children and grandparents, we also are our friends, and we should invest some energy in those friendships and evangelism, or, or or conversations that that include the name of Jesus come into those friendships. But this is probably also why there's a confusion amongst confessional Lutherans about how to do youth ministry. I mean, there's a reason why youth ministry tends to look like American evangelicalism. It's this is probably the reason. But it's this, hey, you know, we're cool. We youth ministers, we DCEs are are cool. We're we're gonna have this kind of subtle encouragement of rebellion, because you gotta you gotta be out on your own now, and you gotta think for yourself, and and we're gonna be your your friends and so forth and so on. And so, it, it, it this is probably the reason why it smells like evangelicalism to us, and and maybe even is a lot of times. So. Hmm. I mean, as far as the the church goes, um, the the kind of longer the longer lasting uh, relationships as far as um, association with the church is, I think, is the family. So, if you think about the the, the members of the church who have long standing ties to the congregation, is usually those who have family ties. You know, so. Everybody knows when you get a call to like the church in the middle of Nebraska or Kansas, like half of the congregation is one family, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because that that family is tied to the church, and that's a good thing. I mean, I mean, it's good that that um, that for three, four generations they've always been in that church. And but I don't know that you see the same. And I'm not trying to put one against the other, but I don't know that you see the same thing with 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 the friendships. Now, certainly. Uh, you have a friend and you want to tell your friend about this uh, church you're going to where God's word is preached and and we we receive the forgiveness of sins that's that's a good thing so I don't want to make it sound as if I'm downplaying that uh, but I think what you see as far as stronger ties to a congregation is family rather than friends yeah no a hundred percent I mean and it and it's a chronological tie it's a vertical tie I mean fam- the bonds of family are intentionally tighter you never like you never take you never take friendship vows i mean i guess you used to have the old uh like blood buddies what was that you remember that blood what, brothers back in the old day? blood brothers you know where you make some sort of solemn oath to be fr- but i mean the nature of friendship is it's is it's fluid it's one of the reasons why it's it's like the chief vocation of people who live in cities and when you live in the city one of the marks of the city is that hmm. And this is a it's a kind of a two-way street but one of the marks of the city is it's mostly for single people you know people who are dedicated to their career and don't want to spend their time on their family or people whose families are broken down and so they've kind of 
they're below the poverty level. Whenever you there's two young people and they get married, they, and they live in their flat downtown, but then they start to have kids and they naturally are moving towards the suburbs, right? Because they want to they want a Spread place out. for their kids yep. to swing, and they got and they're gonna get the minivan that they swore they never have, you know. <laughs> Because all these things happen. I mean, when you when you move into the family, some just different things happen. You become more conservative, you know. Marriage. There's. I mean, there's all these kind of sociological things that happen when you move from chiefly being a friend to chiefly being in the in the family. But but the cool. But the cool. I mean, you're cooler when you're just a friend. When you're when you're not married. I mean, that's just like a hundred percent true. That's what I've been trying you're- to tell you for the first half of doing <laughs> table talk radio. <laughs> You're I mean you're cooler when you're single you're better when you're married. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean th- but there's so many th- you know this is so so if you have a church that's mostly catered to the friends there's going to be a cooler church like no question about it they're going to be cooler. So that's so the Lutheran church is just kind of nerdy. <laughs> but it's I'm glad that's because it's that's it's the, kind of built around the family That's you know? the capstone and the takeaway of this two segment long conversation <laughs> the lutheran church is kind of nerdy <laughs> but there is a way so okay so we could go to the evangelicals and, and criticize them and say look your whole business about how this isn't your family's church that's a problem i mean especially you know i mean how what what i remember every mega church is a first generation church mm-hmm. i mean right i mean there's no there's no legacy mega churches so what's going to happen in now because we're we're what 50 years into the mega church What's going to happen now when the kids are being born or and, and the preachers are saying, look, this isn't your parents' church, and the kids are like, well, it actually is, and they're like, well, okay, for you guys, that's good. because I mean, when you build the whole church on this idea of friendship and not family, on rebellion and not obedience, then you get you, each, you know, it's, it's, everything is new every morning. It's that, so it doesn't last. So you've got to go to the next megachurch. You've got to go to the life church. You've got to go to the whatever, and... So you know you're from one to another to another. So the, so all the mega churches are kind of first generation churches built on this rebellion of friendship. And then what do you do? So we can criticize the mega churches and say, look, you have not paid attention to family, you have not paid attention to the next generation, you have not paid attention to to legacy. You, the very fact that you call your worship contemporary is a tip mm-hmm. to, of the hat that you 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 have lost concern both for the previous generation and also for the next generation. So so this is it's just kind of part of their problem. So we can rightly criticize them. But I think also it's good for us to reflect on the fact that we've neglected the vocation of friendship and of calling of calling families to to befriend people and to talk about how part of our new life as Christians is that we are the friends of God. This is a, an amazing sort of title that the Bible gives to us, that we're the friends of God. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. This is an incredible, incredible thing. And it's technical, and it probably means more than just kind of everyday friendship, but but at least it does include that. And so that we should be, our lives should be marked as being, as being good friends, and that that's especially where the kingdom of God grows in the conversations in the family, but then in the conversations of friends with friends. And, and to encourage that, and to rejoice in those vocations, and to repent in, of our failures as being good friends— that is, that is part of our Christian life, and it's just, I think it's something that I've, I've never, I've never heard another Lutheran talk about the vocation of friend. Have you? Am I wrong about this? 
I think you're right. And, and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this observation, but oftentimes we are reactionary to what a lot of us have come out of in evangelicalism, where it's all just all just about the friend. And so we don't want to be because because sometimes what is presented is you need to make friends for the sake of uh, bringing people into the church. So it's not really a friendship. It's just I'm using you. And so uh, sometimes we react against that and say, well, then I have uh, no reason to uh, make these uh, to, to, to proclaim the gospel to my friends at all. And that's not right either. One more segment. We'll be right back. It's really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. I like how you surprised me with the bump music. You know, always changing it up. Yep. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. There's something else about this idea of the need for friendship. Like, because... Because one of the things that happens when you get married is that you you need your friends less. I mean, there is a need still there, but it's just a it's kind of diminishes when you have a when you have a spouse. And but there's something that the church is, you you, the ch- the church God lets the church do this blessed act of of being for people what they lack, so that for example, we all know people where the church is really their family. They were never married or. They're a widow or a widower or an orphan, and the church is their family. It really take, helps take care of them. Also, but there's a way that also the church comes in and the church becomes people's friends, and that's good. I mean, I think I've heard people say, look, we don't want to have a youth group that just sits around and eats pizza. I used to argue that. I said, you know, look, these evangelicals, these bad, they just want people to they just have the, the light show and the pizza, and the kids just get her and they just sit there and talk, and they never study the Greek or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, I have changed my opinion about that, and I think that's okay. Let's just let the kids get together and be friends with each other, because it's gonna help. It's gonna help when the Christian kids have Christian friends. It's gonna be good for them. It's gonna help their conscience. They're gonna be able to help each other's conscience, and so forth. And I'm all right with it. They should come to church and they should study the Bible. But if you just want to get together and goof off and go for a hike or, you know, throw old corn at each other or whatever who knows I, what <laughs> kids do these days that's fine by me now yes, that is all the rage throwing old corn at one another <laughs> well it's the rage that's why i never plan the youth events like uh-huh. what do you want to do i was like well got some all corn. i ever used to do when i was a kid is throw stuff at people <laughs> this is my whole childhood is being hit or hitting with projectiles you know <laughs> do you throw that rock at me it wasn't a rock it was a crab apple all right, let's. Uh, any, any final thoughts on that? Is that I don't think so. Okay. What do you got? Any you going to put a bow on this whole? Nope. Diatribe. I'm going to leave it untied. I, I I think that's good. I think we've I think we've explored that. Uh, do you want to do a few more of these uh, buzzwords? That's what I was dying to do. Okay, me too. More than anything else. All right, here it is. A, Why were we even talking about this other stuff? Uh, I don't know. We got onto it with fundamentalism somehow. Oh uh, yeah. That that'll be another game. Uh, Remember how we got onto this topic. <laughs> All right, here's the uh, here's the definition you have to figure out. All right, 
A physical manifestation of God. Examples include the burning bush, the pillar of fire and cloud that led Israel through the wilderness, the figure that appeared to be a man that visited Abraham, the angel of the Lord, commander of the army of the Lord, the smoking pot and the blazing furnace that passed through the animal pieces when God uh, covenanted. Is, is covenant a verb? Covenanted yeah. with himself. Covenant covenantified. <laughs> Uh, when giving his promise to Abraham. Covenificate. <laughs> uh, what is a theophany? You got it. Boom. I know the buzzwords, you're, man. You're nailing these. Oh, yeah. You have four so far. <laughs> what is uh? What did uh, What did old Pastor Richards say that was? Are these matching up, by the way? Yeah, yeah that's theophany. You got it. They're matching up. So the so the weird one that didn't match up was just a fluke. It was a one off. Yep. Huh. Yep. Interesting. So sorry we couldn't be of more editorial service, but yeah. uh, this is this is made for a game, so that'll work. There you go. All right. Here's another one. An early heretical teaching about the identity of Jesus Christ. Uh, this was founded primarily on the teachings of this guy who's also it's named after, <laughs> who mm -hmm. I'm not going to say. The central characteristic of this guy's thought was that because God is one, Jesus could not have also been truly God. In order to deal with the scriptural testimony to the exalted status of Christ, this guy and his followers proposed that Jesus was the highest created being of God, his teaching was condemned as heretical at the first ecumenical council in Nicaea in 325 AD. You know, they used to call Nicaea just nice, N-I-C-E, which I think is a cool That's... name for a city. Where do you live? Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. So I just said nice. Three, what year was nice? 325. 325, well, this sounds, uh, there could be a handful of options for this, but the, it seems like the most likely character, the biggest of the arch heretics, arch heretics was Arius. So I think this is, what is the theological buzzword? What is Arianism? You got it. Wow. You're, Boom. You're crushing these. All right, here's another one. I'm going All right, just keep it coming. <laughs> Speed round. Uh, okay, here it is. Um, are you looking for the hard ones? No, no. Are each I'm, of these I'm, double or nothing? No, like, but these are these are just randomly selected. I just got to find the number. All right. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, the Calvinistic teaching that God, by His sovereign will, has elected some to everlasting salvation, elect, and some to everlasting condemnation, the reprobate. This is contrary to the Lutheran view of this same word, that God's eternal this word is <laughs> a gift given through the cross of Christ and that condemnation comes only as a result of rejecting this gift. You know what the, the advantage of Calvinists is they get to use the word reprobate. <laughs> we hardly ever get to use that word. Yeah, You're probably part of the retrobate. <laughs> you know the Calvinists, they just walk around wondering, you know, if that person's retrobate, retrobate, reprobate, Rep reprobate. Yeah. It's just a cool word. <laughs> anyway, I think, you know, I thought, I thought this was going to be what is the buzzword double predestination? But I don't think that is I don't think that is because of the way you skipped over it in the other one. It's gonna be what is election? But how is it that it starts off with the question, 
with the saying, this is the Calvinist view, because it's not just Calvinists who believe in election. We also have a doctrine of election. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, that's my guess. Well, election. Uh, Did I get it right? The answer you're looking for is predestination. But I will admit uh, that I had led you astray because he actually has two entries. He has predestination, parentheses, single, and predestination, parentheses, double. And I read you the double. Uh, however, I I want I did not want to read the word predestination in the actual definition of the word. So, yeah. How about this? Do we know this yet? There's a way to answer this question, but I don't know how to do it. I should just read more. But it's what is the difference between election and predestination? Um, I could come up with an answer to that, but probably not on the spot. If there's a there's a couple of paragraphs in the Book of Concord that talk about that difference. I want to go read those today. Okay. That's your that's your homework assignment. Did I get a point for that? Do I get a hundred points for it? Uh, okay, I'll give you a hundred points. Sweet, I'm up to nine hundred. How much time do we have left? Is this over yet? Uh, three, Let's go, man. Let's get some minutes. more speed round. Oh, All right, the random number generator has picked number fifteen, which is how many buzzwords are there? A hundred and eleven. <laughs> All right, so this is what it says. The Augustinian, and thus Lutheran and Calvinist, doctrine that man's will or desire is in bondage to sin. Man still has the freedom to choose according to his greatest desire. The problem is that his desire is enslaved so that unregenerate man only desires sin. Man on his own does not desire God, but is rather set against God and hates God. This disposition can only be changed by the power of God changing the desire of man. This is what happens in regeneration. Man's desire is set free from sin and changed so that he desires God. You know what? That is really phenomenal. It is. I got to really think because of it. I, you know, it, that, for whatever reason, that's very simple, simply stated. And I, have, I don't know if I've ever heard it stated that simply. That, yeah, we're free. The problem is not uh, the, a question of f the freedom of the will. The problem is a question of the want. We have broken wants. And so our free will chooses the wrong thing because we want the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal. So can you start the, like the very first like phrase and a half to, so I can go back here? The Augustinian and thus Lutheran and Calvinist doctrine that man's will or desire is in bondage to sin. So I, so it could, I was going to think the bondage of the will, but I think it's going to be, I think this is going to be the, what, the, what is the theological buzzword concupiscence? Uh, no. In fact, you hmm. were right in the first place. Bondage, Bondage of the, the will. will. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But it's so, so so probably same doctrine. The idea that yeah. so concupiscence means that our that our desires are broken. We we're always pressing towards the wrong stuff, and so. But but you make wow. a good point that see when usually when we talk about the freedom of the will, we think. What do you mean I, my will's not free? I can turn left or right. I can wear the red shirt or blue shirt. No one's controlling my will whatsoever. And it's a misconception of what it means for your will to be free. Um, the fact that uh, you can, I mean, so is my will free? Yeah, it sure is. I can decide how I'm going to sin against God. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can, I can break the third commandment. I can break the fourth commandment. I can break the fifth commandment. But what I can't do is honor God apart from... Uh, regeneration. Ah, so that's a bond. Man. That's a bound will for sure. I lost two hundred points on that. That taking me down to seven hundred. Yeah, I was close. I was in the ballpark. All you care about is the points here, isn't it? I was. I missed two in a row now. All right, let's go. 
I'm oh, ready. I mean to do a quick one. That was a repeat. Oh, that's also a repeat. Oh, man. How, how many of these are you getting? All right, 54. I'm going to try this as quickly as possible because I think this theme music's coming pretty soon. It says, the Dutch theologian and father of this broke the reformers. You're looking for the person. Oh, shoot. Uh, time's... I'm going to silence that. Broke with the reformers over the issue of free will and predestination. He taught that God gives man prevenient grace and that this grace enables man to freely choose or reject God's offer of salvation. He also taught that God predestines those whom he knows by his foreknowledge by freely... Uh, That is... Who is Jacob Arminius? That is correct. You got right. it. So he's he's oftentimes the one that's posed as contra John Calvin. Right. So uh, that's how it's up. He came after Calvin, though, and then it was the Council of Dort that responded to the five doctrines of Jacob Arminius. I don't know how to Arminius. I always mess, mess up the Arminians who are the people who live somewhere over that, in that way, side of the world and the Arminian doctrine. I always spell it wrong. I mix up this. I don't even know how to pronounce it right. But anyway, that's the point. Is The Council of Dort came along. It's a cool place to have councils. They're like, where are you going to have your council? Worms? Oh, yeah? We're going to have our council in Dort. <laughs> so, and then they said, the, they said, and we invented the tulip then. They're like, hey, we're going to be the tulips. So... That's when the total depravity and all that sort of the two, the, to the five points of Calvinism were developed in, in response to, in my understanding anyways, the response to the doctrine of uh, Arminius. All right. Well, you took the cake on this uh, this game. so I like this we'll game probably lots. never play that again. <laughs> all right. Lots and lots. It's my favorite. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Hashtag the most certain theological contest. Check it out. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, air loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.